All right, my name's Josh. If you, this is your first time, we had a lot of guests last time, so much so that we ran out of our first time guest stuff. We are super glad you're here. It's such a good Sunday. So if you want to know about our church, we're Redemption Church. All of life is all for Jesus. We have lots of churches across Arizona, and we just want to keep planting more churches because we believe people need to know Jesus and love Jesus, and the church is the way God has planned to do that. So we are so glad you're here. Uh, since we don't have a gift for you, the Clevens up here are the best huggers I know, so Bob, raise your hand. If, you, if this is your first time, come get a hug from this man. You'll never leave this church. Get out this program. We have a connection card we ask everybody to fill out just so we can uh, stay in contact with you throughout the week. We have a couple announcements. That's it. If you need a pen to fill this out, we have some guys and gals walking forward to give you a pen and or a Bible, which you'll need both. Such a good Sunday. Gosh, it is. Couple announcements and then I'll be done. First one is we have family worship night coming up. Our children's ministry puts on a wonderful deal every couple of months or so. And they bring families in on Saturday, ages 5 through 11. And their parents, it's not like drop your kids off. It's families and kids together in an environment where you can worship God together. But more importantly for the parents, you get to leave with something practical to do to lead your family well. So we've got that coming up Saturday, November 2nd at 5. The other thing is parent-related too. We have a parent night put on for just every couple of months just to equip and encourage parents, specifically parents of teens, because it's just a tricky season. And this discussion we're going to have is about technology and my kids. And we're going to kind of, how do you frame that question with your kid? Rather than just saying no to everything, yes to everything, is there a helpful way to progress in this area with your kids and that's what that night's going to be about dinner is provided so please rsvp online you can do all you need to do online so that's the second announcement seriously if this is your first time it is such a good sunday and if this is your millionth time i have been blessed by this worship so far more than i have in a long time god is doing stuff amongst us amen, amen. he's changing lives he's saving people he's changing destinies he's doing a lot and that's what we get to celebrate today and he does that primarily through his word. So would you please stand with me as we read his word together? For those of you who are new, we're in Romans chapter 6. If you have this black hardcover Bible, we're on page 943. So we're in Romans chapter 6. We'll be in verse 11 down through 14. Romans 6, 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and delighted to be able to open God's Word with you. As Josh said, we've been studying through the book of Romans. Uh, this marks our 28th week as we kind of march through it little by little and uh, are delighted that you're here uh, for this particular portion of, of Scripture, but as well as just what God is going to do this week. Here's what I want to do as we kind of begin our time together, uh, at least this particular portion of it, is I'd love you to think, when was the last time when you felt misrepresented? 
Someone lied about you. Someone maybe assumed wrong motives about you. Uh, somebody said or thought or did some things that, that misrepresented you. They, they said you were a particular way, and you go, that's not how I am at all. Can you think of a time like that? I remember one time kind of hearing through the grapevine of some people that this one particular guy um, kind of was misrepresenting me, and so I said, well, let's go to lunch and talk about it. And it wasn't a harsh or confrontational thing. I was just kind of going, clearly there's been a misunderstanding here. You're, you're saying and thinking things about me that I don't think are true, but let's talk about it. I want to hear it. And so we sat and we talked. And I remember as he, as he described the things that he said I was doing and that he said I was thinking and the things that were motivating me, I remember just sitting there thinking, that's not me at all. That, that's not who I am. You're, you're, you're wrong there, right? And, and it was, but it was a good thing to be able to hear and have that conversation. But, but that's what happens. That's how you feel when someone misrepresents you. That's not who I am. And what Paul has been doing, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament and wrote this particular letter to the Romans, what he's been doing in the book of Romans, specifically chapter 6, has been saying, this is who you are. And so much so that what he's going to argue today and in the coming weeks is that every time we sin, every time we disobey God, every time we disregard God with our thoughts or our, or our motives or our actions or our words, every time we do that, we're actually misrepresenting ourselves. Every time we sin, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're someone who, who loves the Lord Jesus, if you're a true Christian, every time you sin, someone ought to sit there across from you and go, that's not who you are. And the call of Romans 6 has been to become who we already are. Paul has gone to great lengths in this chapter to be able to help us see who we are. Before this chapter, he had talked about how we came into the world separated from God. Men, women, boys, girls, we, we said red and yellow, black and white, we are guilty in his sight. Everybody is separated from God because of our sin, and therefore everybody needs a Savior. We need to be reconciled to God. And what Paul said in chapter 5 was that though, though death and, and brokenness had come in through Adam, Jesus came in to unite us to himself. We've been talking about this idea of being united to Christ by faith, that, that by trusting in Jesus, we can truly know God. That's what we've been talking about. And Paul gives us some language then here in chapter 6 to help us see this. Look at verse 2 of chapter 6. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You go, well, died to sin. How did I die to sin? You're united to Christ. And when Christ died, he died to sin. Sin had no more power over him. Therefore, it has no more power that way over you. Verse 5. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. So do you, you get what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, you've trusted in Christ, therefore you've been united to him by faith. The power, the enslaving power of sin has been broken. That's who you are. And now he's going to say, live in light of it. Live out who you actually are. Don't misrepresent yourself to, to the world and to yourself and to your family and to the Lord. This is who you are. 
And he's going to tell us, he's going to begin to tell us how to do that. And he's going to give us, for the first time in this book of Romans, some commands. Uh, Aaron Daly was here last week, who's going to be the lead pastor at Redemption Alhambra Village. And, and he helped us see that though we've been looking at Romans for, at that point, 27 weeks, we had not yet run into a command. That was the first command. You, you see it, the first one is in verse 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we're going to get a few more commands. Now, we're not going to get any more commands, uh, really in Romans, uh, after chapter 6, until like chapter 11. Then we're going to hit chapter 12 and 13 and 14, and it's going to just be a blitz of commands, right? There's going to be a lot of commands. And so I want to just take a little pause here for a second and, and help us understand commands. Because one of the things that you understand, if you've ever read the Bible, is it's filled with commands. And sometimes Christians will say, and this is true, they'll say, listen, Christianity is not about rules, it's about relationship. You go, that's absolutely true. But there are a lot of rules, right? The the Bible, the Old Testament has 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, there's, there's many more rules, and so, if there's so many, we have to understand how are we, how are we to relate to these rules, right? We have lots and lots of rules. Now, there's two ways to think about relating to the rules or to the commands of Scripture. One way is to think about it, what you might call under law. The under law approach says, I'm under law, I have to obey in order for God to accept me. If I keep the rules, if I obey the commands then God will welcome me. Then I can know him. That's kind of the under law approach. Then there's the under grace approach. This is what Paul has been talking about through this whole letter, which says you are accepted by God, welcomed by God, by faith in Christ. Therefore, keep the commands. Do you get it? Do you get how different that is? Both people are keeping the commands, but for totally different reasons. Right? So, so everyone who says, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Bible, everyone is keeping commands. The question is, why? Why do we keep commands? And, and so I, this is what I, I just want to help us understand, that that, that approach, that, that we're under grace, not under law, is really how the whole Bible sees commands. So think for a moment. What are, what's the most significant set of rules in the Bible, the most well-known, the most concise, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments okay? And, and everyone knows that there's the Ten Commandments, right? People want to have them in courthouses and in different places, and I don't really ever understand that because maybe it's just because no one actually knows what they are, right? I mean, everyone knows don't kill, don't murder, don't commit adultery, and after that, it's kind of like, I'm sure there are more, but I don't know what they are. Um, and so no one really knows what they are, but, but everyone knows they're important, Well, I want you to see, even the Ten Commandments, even the Ten Commandments follow this principle that it's not you get the law in order to get God, but you have God, therefore obey the rules, obey the law. So so think about this. The Ten Commandments come in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, okay? So later today, when you're at a barbecue or you're watching football, you can impress your friend and go, hey, I learned something today. Where are the Ten Commandments? And your friends go, I don't know. And you can go, Exodus 20. There, I told you. Exodus 20. So Exodus 20 is where the Ten Commandments are. But do you know what happens in Exodus 12? In Exodus 12 is the most significant event in the Old Testament. 
Exodus 12 is the thing that the psalmist and through the rest of Scripture people point back to as the most important thing. Exodus 12 is a picture, it's a paradigm, it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus would eventually do on the cross. Do you know what happened in Exodus 12? The Passover. The Passover. The Jews were enslaved in Egypt. And God was trying to get Pharaoh's attention so that he would let his people go, right? And he wanted to do that. And so all these plagues are coming. And the last and the most devastating plague was God said, listen, the angel of death is coming. He's going to kill every firstborn child, every firstborn animal, unless you sacrifice a priceless, your most valued, an unblemished lamb. And you smear the lamb's blood on the doorposts. And when the angel of death comes to your house, it will pass over you and you will be spared. And indeed, that's what happened. And the angel of death comes, and, and the Jews' helms are passed over, covered by the blood of the Lamb. And the rest of Egypt is crying out in agony and pain and fear because they wake up with dead firstborns. It's a huge moment. And it's the, it's the straw that breaks Pharaoh's back. It makes Pharaoh finally go, okay, get out of here, go. And God rescues his people. God delivers them. He redeems them. It's this whole paradigm that the rest of the Bible helps us to see. This is how God brings people out of slavery and into freedom. And that happens in chapter 12. And only after They're out. Only after they're connected to God, only after God has shown by His grace how much He loves them, only after that does He say, now here are the rules. And you don't obey them to get grace from God. You obey them because you already have it. It's true all the way back to the Ten Commandments. This is how Jesus interacted with people. There was a time when he encountered a woman that was caught in adultery, and all these religious people wanted to stone her and kill her. They said, Jesus, what does the law say? And and Jesus forgives her. This is where we get the the saying of, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus forgives her. says, I don't condemn you. And then he says, now go and sin no more. And the order is important. Do you get that? He didn't find the state and go, you promise you'll stop sinning? Yes. Okay, then you're forgiven. No, 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 no. It's, I don't condemn you. You're forgiven. It's grace. Now, go live this way. And so Paul has been doing the same thing. Paul has been laying out this case through six chapters of here's who you are. Here's the way you're loved. Here's the way you're accepted. Here's the way God has brought you into his family. And now are going to come a few commands. Here's how we're going to live in light of that, okay? So there's three uh, fundamental commands. There's actually four, but the last two kind of go together. And so we want to look at these three commands. One's in verse 11, uh, one's in verse 12, one's in verse 13, okay? So the first command that God gives us in light of this reality that has united us to Christ by faith, the first one is in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. To consider, it's to count yourself. Or the uh, King James says, to reckon yourself. To, to, to see yourself in this particular way. So not just to acknowledge, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. But to think about it. To count on it. To dwell on it. Consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is your ongoing life should be filled with thinking about, oh yeah, I'm a new creature in Christ. Oh yeah, I'm not a slave to sin. Oh yeah, I'm dead to sin. It doesn't have enslaving, ruling power over me. I'm alive to God. God hears my prayers. God's eager to know and love me. God continues by his spirit to pour himself out to me. Wow. And to think about that, that's what he's saying. Consider it. Consider it. Imagine you had this huge inheritance. You found out that some great aunt had died and left you all this money. You had all this money in a bank account. It does you no good unless you go, I'm going to grab some of that. I'm going to use some of that. Right? Otherwise, it just passes on. Same thing. This great truth does you no functional good day in, day out if you don't think about it. If you don't wake up in the morning and go, God, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God, you've, you, I've been filled with sin and, and now I'm dead to it. I'm alive to you. If you don't think about it, it does you no good in your daily life. So the first verb, the first command is to consider. The second one I, I've sort of summarized as um, resist. Resist. And this comes from uh, verse 12. Verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So the command there is let not sin reign. Right? The idea is that sin, though the power has been broken, it still wants to enslave you. Right? And, and the scripture describes uh, Satan as a roaring lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. And even though the, the, the power of sin and the, it has been broken, the presence of sin still lurks very near our hearts, doesn't it? And it, and it tempts us. Come on. Eat this. Look at that. Drink this. It's only just one. Right? And it, it tempts. And it entices. And you go, well, who's doing the enticing? Well, the, Satan is, and the world is, and your own flesh is. There's an enemy within you, right? There's all this stuff around you saying, come on, come on, you'll be happier here. These echoes from the Garden of Eden when the serpent said, did God really say that? Don't you know God's keeping this from you? And what Paul is saying is, resist that. Don't let that reign. Don't let that power, don't, don't submit yourself again to that slavery. There, there are stories that his, historians tell after the Civil War of, of slaves who had been released, who still around white people, powerful white people, especially around their former masters as they would interact with them in town, would still flinch at their voice because they were so conditioned and so used to the idea of I'm a slave and now they're free. They're free. And yet, I mean, you, you see this with people who get out of prison, right? They, they become institutionalized, right? Where they're, they're free, and yet they still live like prisoners. And Paul's saying, you've been set free from bondage to sin. Resist it. Don't submit to it. Remember a few years ago, I was talking with a friend who had been in a work situation that was very controlling and very manipulative, 
and uh, had worked for some people that were just really terrible to work for, and they just, he felt like they just controlled them and manipulated them, and he, as he worked there, he just had such a hard time not constantly being enslaved to what they thought of him and what they, how they handled things, and, and then a year or so later, we were talking, and he was no longer working there, but he was talking about just the bitterness in his heart that he felt toward them, and he was struggling to forgive And he just couldn't stop thinking about how much he couldn't stand those people. And as we talked, you know what he realized? I've been set free from that. But but the bitterness I'm holding is actually making it where I'm still submitting my... They're still in control of me, even though I'm hundreds of miles and a year away from them. That's what Paul's saying. You're free. You're free. So resist sin. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And resist. Don't let sin reign. Therefore, right, because you're dead to sin and alive to God, because of that, that's why he says, therefore, because of that, resist sin. Here's the third command, is present. Present. This shows up in verse 13 twice, once negatively, once positively. Here's the negative uh, kind of instruction. Do not present... Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And here's the positive way to say it. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The word present means to put at someone's disposal, to place at someone's disposal. It makes me think of Chick-fil-A, right? You go to Chick-fil-A, you pull, whether you pull in the drive-thru or you go in the restaurant, what do they say? It's my pleasure to serve you today. And even though you hear him say it to everyone, you're just like, no one else says that to me. I'm going to choose to believe that. Thank you, right? They're presenting themselves to you. They're placing themselves at your disposal. Or my, my daughters are very into princesses and royalty and all kinds of things that they'll never be. And, um, and, and so there are times I'm like, hey, Abby, can you do something for me? And she says... At your service. And it's like, this is just ridiculous, right? What are you you doing? You know what she's doing? She's presenting herself at your disposal, right? And, And what Paul is saying in this passage is that all the time, all of us are putting ourselves at someone's service, are putting ourselves at someone's disposal. And we are either presenting ourselves to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, that, in, that word instruments means tools. In other words, saying, hey, sin, I'll be a hammer in your hand. Use me how you want. Or we're presenting ourselves to God, saying, God, use me as you want. Notice, in either case, you're always presenting yourself. We're going to see this in the coming weeks, right? The, the idea here is you're always a servant. You're never the master. It's just a question of who are you going to serve. Are you going to serve sin? Are you going to serve God? And and there's something in this passage that that struck me this week as I was thinking about this, of going, you know, if if you're a Christian and you're serious about your relationship with God and your faith, then you're trying to say no to sin, right? I mean, you don't you don't want to sin. And yet there's these things that keep tempting you, and don't just keep tempting you, but keep winning. Right? You keep speaking before you think. You keep gossiping and slandering. 
You keep complaining. You keep getting drunk. You keep having another drink. You keep going into that place that you know is going to lead towards impurity. You just keep going there. And you're going, why am I struggling with this? Why can't I stop this? Why am I getting so angry? I'm trying to say no. And I think one of the reasons why we struggle is not because we're not committed enough to saying no. It's because we're not also saying yes to God. Do you get this? He doesn't just say, don't present yourselves to sin. He doesn't just say that, right? Like, say no is the strategy. Just say no. That's not it. Don't just do that, but also present yourselves to God. Because I think so much of our fighting against sin is really just, uh, uh, it's selfish. It's like, I don't want to say that because it hurts my reputation. I don't want to go there because I should have more strength and willpower. Right? And ultimately, it's selfishness. Ultimately, a lot of our fighting sin is just to make us feel better about ourselves. Our fighting sin is pride. Therefore, our fighting sin is sin. Is that crazy? And so it's no wonder that God's like, I don't have much to offer you. You're, it's just about you. But if we fight sin differently, if we fight sin in a way that says, I'm not going to present my, my body as a tool for unrighteousness, but I'm going to present myself to God. I'm going to each day say, God, each moment, each hour say, God, I'm at your disposal. Use me. Fill me. Move in me. Work in me. God, remind me of who I really am. I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to misrepresent who I am. I, don't, I, I want to be who you've called me and who you've already said I am. I want to be that. That's how we begin to live in this identity is we consider what's true. We resist what isn't. And we present ourselves to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. God, thank you that your word is sufficient. Thank you that it teaches and trains and convicts us to know what's true. And God, thank you for this opportunity that we now have to celebrate uh, baptism and to celebrate people who have decided to trust you as their master, that they are not going to serve sin. They're not going to serve themselves. They're going to serve you. And so, God, thank you for that. And I pray for all of us, God, that we would this week remember who we are. God, I pray that this would turn Bible reading and prayer and all the other things that feel like ought to's into want to's because we want to serve you faithfully. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.